1: Get ready, it's time
2: for Operation Late Night Excitement Top rated Late Night Radio The awesomest night of
1: all time After dark It's Late Night with Hancock and Kelly You deserve a fun night On King of OX Hey there, it's Late Night with Hancock and Kelly You'll all be shocked To know that Michael Kelly is out of town And, uh, well We wish him well And he will be back in St. Louis one of these days. I know many of you are wondering about this college football championship game. The approximate score right now, Georgia is winning by 67-3. to No, it's not. I don't know what it is, but it's it's a blowout. Uh, But if you're listening to this, you don't care about that. I am so fortunate to be joined in studio tonight by none other than the athletic director of Duchesne High School in St. Charles, Paul Boschert. He's also Michael Kelly's brother-in-law. Paul, thanks for filling in. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. It's kind of a lifelong
2: dream of mine. Uh, You know, I started out uh, 42 years ago in education, and I had a double major back then. One was in education, one was in broadcasting. and And, And broadcasting at Lindenwood, you had a partner. Bob Ramsey, who was on just a couple hours ago. So Bob was uh, my, uh, he was my mentor when I was at Lindenwood, and uh, he steered me the right way, I think, is what he told me Yeah, education. But this is a lifelong dream, 42 years, and I'm finally getting a chance to be at KMOX. There you are. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, we're delighted to have you. And you, uh, you were a longtime athletic director and coach at St. Charles West High School. You know a lot about high school athletics.
2: Yes, I've been very fortunate and blessed uh, in my career. I I started uh, at Duchenne High School right out of Lindenwood. Yeah. I went back to my alma mater, spent four years there, and then uh, uh, my wife and I got married about that time. Had an you married into the Kelly family. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah there you are. Right? And, and, and best move I ever made. There you so, go. Yeah. So I did that, uh, had an opportunity to go over to St. Charles West, uh, spent some time over there, and then I actually went out to Zumwalt West for a while. Uh, as the AD out there, when it was kind of a new school out there, spent about 16 years there, retired. And then after a year of retirement, uh, was kind of coaxed to go back to my alma mater at Duchenne and be the AD. And I've been doing that for the last three and years. And
1: you've also coached. You've coached uh, multiple different sports. Yes. I was brought up with football, basketball, and baseball.
2: Uh, those are my three. The big three. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I grew up in an era where that's what you did. You went from sport to sport to sport. Where it's so specialized today. In, in high school, but I was fortunate enough to play those three sports in high school. Uh, once I graduated uh, from college, I, I jumped back into it and actually coached those three sports for multiple years And uh, before I became an athletic director.
1: Well, I got a lot of things I want to talk to you about as it relates to high school athletics, and we're going to get to that as the show goes on. The other thing that uh, Paul Boschert brings to the table is he's a lifelong, multi-generational St. Charles resident. And you don't, uh, that's a fairly rare breed these days. So much of that county is made up from, with people who lived with me in North St. Louis (laughs) County uh, back in the day. And I remember we moved when I was in the sixth grade and all of our neighbors moved to St. Charles, or we didn't, but we almost did. And you think about how life would have been different if, you know, those life decisions that you make.
2: I think you're going to do a segment on that later. But, yes. But when I grew up in St. Charles, it, it was a small town, and it just blossomed. Everybody came out from uh, North County
1: over uh, to St. Charles.
2: So if we can talk more about that
1: probably later on. They did. Uh, we would be remiss. There's some news breaking uh, tonight uh, just out, uh, reported by the New York Times and others, uh, that Joe Biden, when he left the vice presidency, set up an office and uh, where he worked out of. We're not sure how much he worked out of there. There's a lot. We we know less than uh, we don't know much about this. And but what we do know is that some period of time ago, uh, about a dozen classified documents were found in that office. Now, all of us are aware of what we've been through with former President Trump and the hundreds of classified documents that he had. And, uh, you know, there's a Justice Department investigation. There's been a special prosecutor assigned to that case. And now here, all of a sudden, these documents are found with Joe Biden. Now, if you listen to the press coverage, Fox News says this is a massive scandal. CNN says it's quite a bit different than Donald Trump's. And I... None of us know what the facts are. We don't know what kinds of documents we are, these are. We don't know what level of classification they had. We just don't know. But, Paul, the politics of this would seem to me uh, this is a very unfortunate event for the Democrats. Oh,
2: well, all my uh, friends had told me uh, coming down to go, you're going to be on Hancock and Kelly. You don't know anything about politics, and I'm going to plead the fifth here, John, because I want to play it safe. Because you know, uh, I was uh, I was raised a Republican in St. Charles. I know you I'm were married into the Democratic family, and we've been great as long as I've kind of kept my opinions quiet. So I'm <laughs> I'm going to trust you tonight, John.
1: All right, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly significant uh, finding, and you know, we're going to learn more as the days and weeks roll on here. Uh, but we've already seen Donald Trump jump on this news and say, see, I told you everybody does this and blah, blah, blah. We don't know the circumstances here. And we don't know the significance of the documents here. Uh, but we do know that the, the House now being controlled by Republicans is probably going to conduct an investigation. I think we can be relatively assured that that's going to happen. And we also know that the Democrats are going to stress the differences between how Biden responded to the documents and the way the Trump universe responded to the documents. They were very uh, reluctant to give them up even after they'd been asked to provide them. So uh, that's a story to keep an eye on. It's just breaking tonight and um, don't want to talk a whole lot of politics tonight. We hardly ever talk about politics on Monday night. But since that was in the news, thought we'd do that. When we come back... um, Paul Boschert spent a a lifetime in education, and uh, just a tragic story out of uh, Newport News uh, the six year old shooting his teacher. Um, That case is unfolding. We're going to tackle that and talk about the remarkable recovery of Damar Hamlin. That's next on Hancock and Kelly, right here on KMOX.
0: Subscribe to That within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Trusted information, live and local, from the award-winning KMOX Newsroom.
1: And welcome back to Hancock and Kelly late night sitting in for the vacationing Michael Kelly. There's always something. And this week we have Paul Boschert, Michael's brother-in-law. More importantly, he's the athletic director at Duchenne High School in St. Charles. He's a 40-year educator, 42-year educator. Paul and I usually... it, when Michael throws a party, we usually hole up and uh, visit a lot, and uh, I've always have enjoyed talking to you and getting your insights on things. Same to you, John. I've always said that same thing. When uh, Michael has a party
2: together, you and I are some of the older folks there, so we kind of get off in the car. And, and talk. I'm
1: usually eating your wife's uh, fake white castles that she makes, which are amazing. The sliders. The sliders. I mean, it tastes. it's like it's like you're eating a White Castle right there. You yeah. know, I
2: help with that now.
1: Oh, you do? I ground the meat. You're the meat grinder. That's what I do. Well, there he is, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, the meat grinder. That's his nickname when he's coaching the athletes out there. He's the meat grinder. Uh, so it, spending all this time in school, and, of course, we've had this rash of school shootings, mass shootings. We had one here in St. Louis um, not too many months ago. But this story out of Newport News where... A six-year-old first grader brandished a weapon and shot his teacher is, I I just almost don't have words. Can you even imagine something like that ever happening? No, John. Like I said, all the years I've been in, you know, I taught
2: elementary PE and those six-year-old kids come in and they're high-fiving you to come in to to play ball or whatever it might be, play games. Uh, First grade. Yes. Yeah. I got a grandson. That uh-huh, age, uh-huh. and I'm and tried And when I came out, I I just thought of that, and I thought, this is unimaginable uh, that you see stuff like this, and uh, you know, and, and and I don't know where the problem lies, uh, you know, but it's just something that you just don't. Uh, it's hard to talk about. It really is,
1: you know. And how do you, how do you hold a six year old accountable, in, in the in the criminal justice system that we have? And I don't envy those folks that have got to figure this out. But clearly, I think the parents bear a profound amount of responsibility here. And they've not said if they're going to charge the parents. I don't see how they can't. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, but I
2: just know as a as a parent myself, you know, uh, we always took control of our kids. And, and you always knew where they were at, what they were doing. Never do you consider uh, having a weapon as a six-year-old. Uh, I've never shot a weapon myself. I'm in my age, so I just don't. It's just unfathomable.
1: Have you noticed over? And, and you've been in a suburban school district, you know, mm-hmm. your entire career. Um, uh, would you say the kids today, or uh, that you encounter, are they about the same as they were thirty years ago, or have you noticed a difference in the culture?
2: I. I it's a different culture right mm-hmm. now. I really have seen that. Uh, you know, today's story of the Cracker Barrel in St. Charles. Is, you know, Yeah, you were telling me about that. That's, you know, we had an incident this morning at 5.30 this morning where three uh, uh, kids basically tried to hijack a car from the Cracker Barrel. Guy was out there taking the trash out, and one of them pulls a gun out and shoots him, and... Uh, uh, they get away, but uh, I think they had a flat tire and they were uh, they were cornered over in Earth City, I believe. But but you know you sit there and you go, okay, how old were these guys? And you hear fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, that, that that's our that's our eighth grader. That's our freshman. Yeah, and, and how how so? That's unfathomable as well. Well, and
1: that you know the carjacking problem that we have, and I'm sure it's not as bad in St. Charles as it, it is here in downtown St. Louis. But that's not uncommon to see a fourteen year old perpetrator. Uh, you know the the kids that that robbed the uh, the carjack the deputy, the Saint Louis sheriff's deputy after a hockey game. They were fourteen years old. And who's putting
2: them up to it, John? That's what I always worry. I don't know if these kids are acting alone. You you pretty much think that there's probably some adults that... <laughs> and, and
1: gang involvement. Yes. you know there's yeah. a lot of gang involvement uh, mm-hmm. throughout. And, you know, I don't envy the police that have to deal with this stuff because the the, the perpetrators are getting younger and younger and younger. And they d- cannot be held legally under our system of justice to the same standards that an adult can. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to be subject if they happen to get prosecuted, which is always a coin flip in the city of St. Louis. But they just don't have to be subject to the same uh, kinds of punishments. And, uh, and a six-year-old kid... Mm-hmm. What happens? I mean, you know, that's, uh, as I say, I don't envy law enforcement and the prosecutors, the the school district, and the folks that have to deal with that situation. I hope the parents are held fully accountable because they should be.
2: And, John, and and what scares me as an educator, uh, my three daughters are all in education. Yeah. The two oldest ones are married to educators. Okay. So I have five uh, in my family. Actually, Mm. they're in the family business. Yeah. And, uh, and the stories that I hear from them at their particular schools as well, I never heard those stories thirty years ago when I was. What
1: in- do you think it is? Is, is it a, is it a breakdown in the in the fabric of, of families? Is it is it the exposure we have in multimedia and and social media? A combination of everything? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I, I really
2: do. I think you see uh, the breakdown in the family is is huge. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of these uh, young children that they have a bad home life. And mm-hmm. so when they come to school, uh, maybe something they uh, found, saw at home, uh, how they come, you just don't know what gets in these kids' minds to do this, but most of them, if you track back, it's a
1: bad home life. And, and then we ask educators to kind of step in and play that role, which they're not, that's not what they're trained to do. Yeah. John, I'll give you an example. When I was an administrator at one of
2: my schools, uh, we had lunchroom supervision and uh, we had a fight breakout. Yeah. By the time... Our you know resource officer, myself, and another principal got over to it, and you 're breaking it up, okay. All the cell phones come out and they 're taking the pictures' or videotaping this, yeah. and they 're shooting that out we 're trying to get the kids situated, getting them to the main office we can 't get them to the office in enough time that their parents aren 't on the phone talking to the to the principal want to know what we 're going to do with the kid to beat up their kid at school so Oh because they, wow, they saw it they saw it yeah yeah, Man. on video so that's that 's the thing I think that part of it uh, you didn 't have. 25, 30 years yeah. ago, that we do today. It, everything is, it happens instantly. Did you ever get in a fight when you were a kid? Never. Wow. Never. I never did. I, I was, had one. <laughs> you know,
1: I. Uh, you don't want to talk, right? I don't, like, you, I, don't, I don't like to talk, but <laughs> it's third grade. No, I, I, I was, was a out, lover, not a fighter. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I was too. I walked I was too. So I was the. Uh, I'm not particularly gifted athletically. So in the third grade, uh, you might remember Hank Stram, the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. You remember uh, Hank Stram? down the field. Yes, and <laughs> he would have his uh, play, playbook rolled up into a scroll and he'd carry it in his hand. So at recess in the third grade, I was Hank Stram. I was the coach. And I was uh, drawing up plays, you know, and I had it rolled up in my hand there. And, it, and one of the players was not happy with the, my play calling that day. And he, he came at me. Yeah, Paul, he came at me. Keith, I'm not going to say his last name because he might still be living. He might still be. He probably lives in St. Charles now. And uh, so Keith comes at me, and he he took the first punch. He missed. <clears throat> I beat the tar out of him. And uh, the fight was broken up by Miss Bowman, the fifth-grade teacher who was uh, very near retirement uh, and perhaps beyond The natural retirement age of sixty-five at that time, and she broke up the fight handily, and uh, that was my one and only altercation in. uh, in What was the consequence? Did anything happen to to you? I got I got a swat by Mr. Poe, the principal. Okay. uh, Fielding a Poe who went to who went to high school with my dad, so that was all kind of a full circle. But yeah, Mr. Poe gave me a swat, and I never got another fight, and I never got another swat. So there you have it. But not all of the news out there is bad. And we've all been moved. It was a week ago tonight, probably not too far from this very moment, where Demar Hamlin, the safety of the Buffalo Bills, was in on a tackle on T Higgins. Uh got up, took two steps and collapsed on the field and I think many of us assumed that he was deceased the way the seriousness, the players crying, what they were seeing. Uh, It was, I can't hardly remember anything like it. And today we learned that he's gone back to Buffalo. I mean, is that not just the most remarkable thing ever?
2: Yes, I think so too. And I think that probably shows you how far we've come in our medical world right now. uh, That these medics and physicians and trainers got on the field that quick uh, and started the process. And I know they were giving CPR nine minutes, they said. And yeah. I'm, I'm like you. I, I was watching that intently last week. I mean, we were all glued to the set. And uh, I, it was just – and then you start to think. You know, you start to think, well, when did I see this before? Yeah. And uh, I started thinking through my uh, recollection of when I was younger. I used to work for Lindenwood. Um, I worked on campus up there when the college hosted Cardinal football.
1: Yeah, that was the training camp.
2: Right. They had the training camp up there. And I just remember that J.V. Kane, who was the uh, tight end yeah, guy,
1: who was Who was – A remarkably gifted athlete. He was going to replace Jackie Smith. Mm -hmm. And uh, so many people thought the sky's the limit for this guy.
2: Yes, and I thought the same thing. So I was on campus. I worked the the 11 to 7. This happened before uh, it went down. But I remember that was one of the situations I remember. And the other one, I think when you look at the city of Cincinnati, uh, where this happened with Tamar last week, was when John McSherry, the baseball the umpire, umpire yeah. collapsed on opening day. Yeah. And uh, had a big what un- year? Do
1: you remember what year that was? 1996. April
2: 1st, 1996, opening day.
1: Yeah, because Cincinnati always opened the season. That yes. was always opening day for baseball. Yeah, John, McSherry, John McSherry, longtime umpire, mm-hmm. uh, he was not the best, uh, in the best shape, shall we say, big guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was, uh, was it during the game or before the game that he collapsed with a heart attack? I thought it
2: was pretty close to the beginning of the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just collapsed at home. And, you know, so all those people in the stadium opening day, you know, had a full house.
1: They had to witness this, too. It does happen. And, of course, being a football coach for many years, I'm sure you've seen a just a plethora of injuries on the football field. Yeah. Uh, but nothing like this, probably. No. You know, when you say
2: CPR, you know it's life and death. Yeah. But when somebody goes down with a, a, a you know, broken bone or whatever, or our concussion, which we do treat today, right. those are things that you know you're going to be able to pretty much address there at the field and then get them medical help afterwards where it's really not life-threatening, but uh, it, those are serious
1: injuries. At, at high school athletics uh, in the districts where you've worked, uh, are they, have they gotten better prepared to deal with something like this? When I first started.
2: Yeah. The coaches were the trainers. And, right. and we don't know anything about medical you know, so <laughs> so if somebody got hurt, you know, it was like, uh, you know, hey, you guys go ahead and drag that guy off so when you run our <laughs> Pick drill, him up and get him off. Him the up, field. Or how many fingers yeah. I him yeah. up? You, you get that kind yeah. of a, a yeah. response. But uh but since then we've added training services and I applaud the trainers that happened in Cincinnati last week and I applaud all of our trainers that our high school... And you have them um, now in have the have high school. Now. Yeah, you betcha. We've got that, and we've got the AD machines oh. uh, that we've got, in, in, and we train all of our coaches and our staff. Uh, luckily, we have not had to use those things, right. but uh, they're there for us. and, and we're, Well, you know. and in
1: a high school event, you don't just have the athletes on the field. you got parents, you got grandparents in the stands. I mean, stuff happens. Yeah,
2: and John, that did happen to us one time. I was the, um, I guess it was an athletic director maybe about 10, 15 years ago. We had a football game, and one of the grandparents of one of our players... Had a heart attack at halftime, yeah. and uh, and he did perish. Yeah, and, and so it was one of those things. It was it was a very tough night for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do remember that when the grandparent did go.
1: Well, what happened with DeMar Hamlin was uh, truly a miracle, and he's up, he's walking, he's talking. He's getting full possession of his faculties, it seems like. I'm sure medically there's still some more steps to go through and tests to take. And uh, I, I heard the doctors today say they're going to try and figure out what the source may have been uh, to cause that. Uh, the best speculation I've heard from cardiologists is that the heart rhythm in a, in a particular cycle getting hit in a particular place, it's kind of like a needle in a hay- haystack, it can cause a defibrillate or AFib. And then the heart stops in very rare cases, and this obviously was, was one of them. Well, that's Doug Bushett, longtime, uh, well, long-time coach, athletic director. He's been all over St. Charles Schools. When we come back, uh, he's also been in charge of sports officiating for youth, and that is an, a topic that fascinates me. Uh, we're going to visit with Doug Bosher more. It's Hancock and Kelly, Late Night on KMOX. <laughs> And we're back. John Hancock alongside with Paul Boschert filling in for the out of town Michael Kelly. And we're taking full advantage of Doug Boschert, a 42 year educator, former football coach, basketball coach, baseball coach in various high schools in St. Charles County. He's the current athletic director of Duchenne High School. And I remember, uh, you know, our, our genes in the Hancock family are not particularly geared towards athletic uh, achievement, shall we say. And so, Junior, uh, when he was finished with his sports career at about twelve years old, uh, he went into officiating. He went to school, uh, and he really he loves baseball, and wanted to be an umpire. You know, for youth baseball. And I was really proud of him. He had the mask and the in the counter. You know, the he had his shoes and the whole bit. And I remember uh, how proud I was going to watch him umpire a bunch of. Nine-year-olds, and so I'm sitting in the stands, and everybody, and the parents are all much younger than I am, of course, of the athletes. So they probably thought I was a creeper. Anyway, uh, Johnny's down there, and he's calling the balls and strikes, and some parent takes off after him. Nine-year-old kids playing baseball, and it's a thirteen-year-old umpire, and it got me to thinking that's got to be, it's got to be getting tougher to find people. Uh, at that level and maybe beyond. And you've been involved in finding officials for a long time. What's going on? Well, John, I I spent 32 years. Uh,
2: I needed a summer job. I kind of, I'm a junior. Uh, and when I was teaching nine months of the year, I had my summers off. I started umpiring myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily I was able to take over the assigning of the umpires. And so I, I was able to, to, to schedule throughout the summer slow pitch softball umpires. I also did some umpiring myself. Uh, but it's gotten to the point where it's gotten out of control, where there's that respect that you get from the players or the respect from the, the fans, uh, we've lost that. And I think that's, uh, that's the problem that we're dealing with, not only with the slow pitch softball that I did, but we're talking about high school as well. Uh, they've done some surveys with our officials and in the high school level. And basically the number one reason why people
1: give up officiating is the parents and and that's, I mean, I think it's always kind of been out there, but it seems now like it's just out of control. Yeah, it, it really and, is. and what's driving that, Paul? Is it is it the fact that all these parents have these visions of their kids in the Major League Baseball someday when they're 10 and 12 years old and they're trying to get onto the select teams and there's so much pressure on these kids? Is that what's driving the bus? It, it could be. It could be. Uh, I, I just, again, not sitting with the
2: parents and figuring out what, what it is, but there's, there's some games where the referee will stop the game, wave me over as the administrator and say, you see that gentleman there in the front row? He has to go. And that's when I've got to go over and, and remove a, a parent that was uh, upset at the game uh, at an official. and uh, And that's what's driving these officials out. We've got so many officials right now that are in their late 60s and mm-hmm. 70s that are hanging on because their assigners are asking them, can you please hang on? We are low on officials. And uh, we're trying to get the young kids to do this. But, and, and they get them out, John. They get them out for one or two years. And then these kids, get, they get raked over the coals by these parents. And they end up saying, you know what, enough's enough for me. And, and
1: you're, we're talking now about high school sports. We're not high talking school. about the no. 12-year-old baseball. We're talking about high athletics. school athletics.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: <clears throat> and, is, it, is it at a crisis level at this point? I think it is, because
2: now we're asking some of these guys. I'll give you an example. Last week we had our holiday uh, basketball tournament. I've got officials coming over doing the games and say, hey, this is my first of three that I'm going to be doing today. Wow. Officials were going from my place out maybe to St. Dominic and O'Fallon, and they were doing the coaches versus cancer at Maryville University. They would do three games a day. And you can imagine by the end of the day how tired they yeah. were. And,
1: uh, and we're talking basketball, right? Yeah, are talking basketball. And that's, there. I mean, yeah. if you're going to be – a baseball umpire is one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can – heck, even at my girth, I could probably umpire a baseball game if I, you know, had to. But running that court or lacrosse or soccer, I mean, you've got to be very well fit to be an official in those sports. Yeah, you got to be
2: athletic to be able to get up and down the floor, court, yeah. wherever it is. And, uh, you know, I just think, uh, you know – The best year we had of umpiring Mm -hmm. and and officiating was the COVID year.
1: Oh. We had no parents. Oh. (laughs) We had the kids. So it really is a parent. Yeah. And, you know, you put 100 random people together, you're going to have a jerk or two. I mean, that's just kind of a given. But I think it's much more than just the, the random jerk in the crowd these days. I really do think... There is so much pressure on these families. I remember I mean when my son said he wanted to play football, I was all proud, and you know think then I saw him play but uh but I do think there's so much pressure that parents are putting on these kids i don't know if they're trying to live their own lives vicariously through their children uh but psychologically, there's something going on, and I sense that it has gotten worse in recent years
2: it has, and I've tried to go. You know, I, I try to be that buffer when I see something like that happening. You know, I'll kind of work my way over to the parent and, you know, try to try to settle them down a little bit and say, you know, and they'll, they'll criticize the official and I'll say, well, the guy out there is 68 years old. He should have retired about 10, 15 years ago. But yeah. if we don't have him, we don't have a game. And, you know, and then I'll ask the parent, hey, we're looking for officials. Would you like to officiate? And they'll say, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's, yeah. That, that's part of the, the problem. You're trying to find people
1: to be the uh, the solution to the Because what happens, there'll be a call, and mm-hmm. it may be a bad call, and the parent will express their discontent, with and then they'll just harp and harp and harp on that official for the rest of the game. And you can readily understand why grown adults don't want to subject themselves to that. And I always try to flip the tables. How would you like that official
2: going to your place of employment during the day and sitting there and watch you work? Yeah. And, and criticize you. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that would work. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> so what's your favorite sport? Boy, I, I, I guess I, I love the three, football, basketball, right. baseball. Those are my three favorite that I try to follow the most. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, those are my three favorites. Uh, you
1: love a sport started when you were a wee little lad? I was a wee little
2: lad in St. Charles. And uh, like I said, I, I played all three. And, uh uh, enjoyed it from there, and uh, like I said, and, and back in those days, John, it was you played for fun. Yeah, you know there was no, you know, select leagues no, and all of that. No. no, that's right. It was our city teams got together and yeah. we 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 played football. Then we went to basketball. We went to baseball, and that's how it went. There was no talk of scholarships or anything like that. You played for the fun of the game.
1: So we're a fairly contemporary in age. Uh, were you a follower of the St. Louis Spirits? I was yeah. yeah yep I remember those days yeah Freddie
2: Lewis and Marvin Marvin Barnes and, yes
1: yeah yeah That's, yeah and so uh, double G double G Gus Gus, Gus Gerard. Gerard. Yeah. he was the three point guy yeah. out there yeah. Yeah. And, and we had Moses Malone played on that team yes, did we he did. not yes
2: we did uh, Caldwell
1: Jones mm-hmm. I think was on one and they were around for just two seasons a couple was seasons that right?
2: they were down there yes and you remember who got his start. In uh, radio
1: broadcast. Uh, Bob Costas. Bob Costas. He was the voice of the spirits. I yeah. used to, I listened to those games on KMOX. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when I was, so that would have been what, 73, 4, 5 in there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 9, 10 years old, and I would I would set my Nerf basketball goal up in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I would shoot baskets and listen to the spirits game, and I, and I kept score. I kept a scorecard of how many points everybody was scoring. Uh I'm sure you're acquainted with the story of how the owners of the spirits resolved the merger of the ABA into the NBA. Go ahead. And no, you go ahead. I don't know I don't remember. You got Oh, the you end. don't remember no, that. I don't remember this one. So the the teams in the ABA, uh several of them, Indiana Pacers, the Kentucky Colonels maybe. Yeah, exactly. the Kentucky Colonels I think went bankrupt. Right. But the the Pacers moved over to the NBA, several of the teams did. The new New Jersey New York Nets, which was Dr. J's team. Um moved into the NBA, several of them went bankrupt, and then they had a, the Spirits, which weren't going bankrupt, but they weren't going to the NBA either, and the owners didn't have the kind of money uh, to qualify for admission to the to the league. And this was in the mid-1970s, and uh, professional basketball was not the cash cow then, uh, certainly that it is now, you know. And so the owners of the Spirits... And we cut a deal with the NBA to take some small little percentage of the marketing revenue forever. And to make them go away, the owner said, okay, fine. And it was, you know, it would have been, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, which was a lot of money back then. But it's a couple hundred thousand. Well, it ended up being billions of dollars over the course of the lifetime. And I think the NBA finally a few years ago paid them off. But those two owners, they were brothers and, uh, they made an absolute killing on the spirit. The team they owned for two years had some very colorful characters. Uh, remember Marvin Barnes would disappear for like yeah. a week at a time?
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Hum- Do you remember when he was in school at, at
2: Providence? No, that would be, no. The 6'11 guy. Yeah, he, yeah. And he robbed a liquor store up oh. there. <laughs> and uh, he had his Letterman jacket on. <laughs> dead giveaway so that's another one of those
1: colorful stories he was, he was uh they, they, the cardinals had played you mentioned the kentucky Colonels, so we were in louisville and we played the kentucky colonels and back then they flew uh commercial they didn't have chartered flights for ab 18 so it was a commercial flight from louisville to st louis and they were handing everybody out their boarding passes and uh, marvin barnes looks at it and it departs at uh six thirty seven and it arrives in st louis at 528 (laughs) and he says I'm not getting on no damn time machine (laughs) and he drove home (laughs) that was a colorful colorful team well that's Paul Boschert I'm John Hancock Paul Boschert has lived what is truly a phenomenal growth in St. Charles County we're going to talk about that uh, and what it might mean for this region after this on Hancock and Kelly Well, we want to thank the Marines this evening, the few and the proud out there. They're listening to the voice of St. Louis. uh, If you were intent on watching that uh, football game this evening, you're probably sadly disappointed unless you graduated from the University of Georgia. It is a blowout, uh, even more so than any of us might have predicted. Well, Doug Bosher joins me. Paul Bosher joins me in the studio here. He's the brother-in-law of Michael Kelly. He's the athletic director at Duchenne High School in St. Charles County. I've been talking about high school athletics quite a bit. And, you know, your family, the Boschert family, has a long and just fabulous history in St. Charles County. How far back do you guys go? We go back, uh, I believe, 1700s. Uh, we've got some books and wow. things like
2: that. Uh, you know, when when it uh, when the town was a very small little river town on yeah. the Missouri River there. There's a Boschert town, right? Yes, there's a Boschert town, and a portion of my family settled down there on the farms uh-huh. and then... Uh, and then my great, 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 great grandfather founded Boschertown oh. Golf. No, go-karts down there. No, I, the way I was using it <laughs> as a joke. But that's, that's a little go-kart place, you see, as, yeah. you, as you leave St. Charles North 94 yeah. and go out to Archer Farm and out that direction through Boschertown. And that's uh, that was all my uh, ancestors as far as the farming is concerned. But back then, John, you know, from there you went west to Lindenwood University. Yeah. Okay. You would go south to Highway 70. And then north would be down where Boschertown, and, and then that, and for, that was down. for
1: many years,
2: there was one way in, one way out, right? Oh, uh, it's the old 115 bridge. Yeah. And, I, yeah, that was a, a small bridge, and and I'll never forget my dad drove a, a truck, and he had to come over that thing, and there was many a time that you just wonder how you got that, that corner turned and not scraping uh, on, on that bridge. Yeah, there,
1: it seems that, because I grew up in St. Louis County, mm-hmm. and it seems like there was always this, I don't know, Almost as if St. Charles was some mysterious place that, you know. It's because that river split Yeah, us. Yes. yeah.
2: I get that all the time that people, you know, I, and I, I see this in high school when you want to schedule a game.
1: Man, we got to cross the river. No. I know you do. <laughs> well, there's bridges now. Yeah, there's bridges. <laughs> we can get you across, and I cross to come
2: play you too. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh,
1: but when did it start taking off? Was it the 70s or did it start before? I think it was about the 70s. Uh-huh.
2: No, I was I was probably in high school when it really started to take off. Um uh, you know for those of you that, that, that know St. Charles County, uh, you know, as far as the high schools were concerned, you you basically had the city school of St. Charles, mm-hmm. yeah, Duchenne, which came in in 57. St. Charles is the oldest one there, right? Uh, you had Fort Zumwalt by itself, Francis Howell out in Weldon Spring, and you had Wentzville, and that was pretty that was it. much it, yeah, okay, and it's grown now where. You know, the Howells, the Zumwaltz, and uh, they've all split off into three or four schools. St. Charles West came in back in the uh, late 70s. Uh, Winsville now four high schools. Yeah. That's and right. the fifth one is coming.
1: The growth in Winsville. Today that we 're experiencing is just off the charts,
2: yes it's well, I said my my two daughters, uh, older ones have, have live out there and work out that direction, so uh yeah it's just everybody's kind of was there that
1: concern way. Uh, from the the long timers there when the expansion started and all the houses start going up, and people start moving in from largely north St Louis County, but from all over. And you're seeing the the populations take off and all of that. Was it welcomed by the folks that had been there a while, or were there some concerns about it?
2: I I think it was welcomed for the most part. But I, you know, back when that was going on, I was a high school young kid, guy, yeah. yes, and I really didn't pay much attention to that. Uh-huh. But uh, you just had more friends. All I of had sudden. more friends. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But it was just a, a unique situation where the churches were five or six blocks away from each other in St. Charles. You had the Catholic, the Lutheran, United Church, and uh, you know the different churches that were all in that same area. Uh, and then you, know, you had a, a two-lane road to go out 94, uh, dirt road that direction, and then you go out west. Everything out west back in the 70s and 80s was all farm. Yeah, out, all outside. of it. It was all farmland. Yeah. And, uh, and it just took off in the, in the 80s and
1: 90s. What I found remarkable uh, being a you know, student of government in the region and so forth, what I have found remarkable over the many years is how much pride exists in St. Charles County, that you live in St. Charles. And I remember serving in the General Assembly back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, 100 years ago, and the St. Charles delegation in the legislature, they had Democrats and Republicans, they were the most unified and effective delegate of any county in the state in, in terms of what they did. The Page Avenue extension, a huge development for the county. And everything was lockstep and just how much unity existed. And I think I think that's still apparent in the county today. I think so, John. And when you have your town named after, you know,
2: St. Charles, I mean, and, and all the things uh, that we do out there— uh, I think it's important to our, our community. And there's generations uh, that, like you said, you talk about my family. There's a lot of the family names out there their are generation, and there's a lot of pride that it goes on. There.
1: Our mutual friend, Steve Ellman, the mm-hmm. a longtime county executive serving his fourth term right now, mm-hmm. uh, just reelected to a fourth term. He wrote a history of St. Charles County maybe, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating book. I assume you've read it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a story of... Uh, you know a really interesting and for the time diverse community yes yeah we had all kinds
2: of di- you know had the french you had the german and uh, but it was a diverse community yes catholics, uh, catholics and lutherans catholics and lutherans and the thing of it was it not only catholics and lutherans but they married each other and uh, it it's uh, in my family my father uh married lutheran uh, my uncle Doug, who was the yeah. uh, was the mayor uh, yeah. of, of St. Charles, married Lutheran, and their brother Don had married a Lutheran. So you saw a lot of that. Steve Elman can tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so you had all that intertwining of the families. And uh, you know, some of us went to Duchenne, some went to St. Charles, and we all got along. It was one community, and that, that's how we did.
1: And the, a big key to all of this growth has been the infrastructure, because when you start adding that many people, and now St. Charles County is larger by far. Than the city of St. Louis in terms of population, you know, it's uh, St. Louis City is the third largest area in this region. In this region, it's just it is what it is, and but that infrastructure, particularly the road system, uh, has been a, a success story. Yes, I remember when my my uncle was the mayor.
2: I believe it's uh, when the they did all the revisions on the Highway 70 bridge, and yeah. and, uh, and then they took down the 115 and, and went. Uh, towards northern St. Charles where they put in the other bridge, and then they got the page extension. So they have done some great work as far as c- connecting St. Charles to St. Louis.
1: Yeah, because there was a time back in the 80s where, I mean, if you had to get to St. Charles for an event at 5.30, it was a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, because you'd sit on that Blanchette trying to get over for, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes sometimes. I'm just glad I didn't have to make that trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were all self-contained. What do you think the future is of St. Charles County?
2: I still think it's, it, it's still growing. Uh, you know, you, you sit there and look. It's it's kind of funny. I, you know, I was at Duchenne for many years in St. Charles West, and then I moved out to Zumwalt West out in O'Fallon when it started to blossom. And I, you know, you'd have kids in class out there and they come, hey, Mr. Boschert, uh, you had my mom or dad in class back in at St. Charles West or at Duchenne. And, you know, and I thought that was pretty cool how that development, the next generation, uh, you know, went west. And yeah. now you're seeing the next one go out towards Winsville and Troy in that area. And as soon as some of these kids start saying, hey, you had my grandma or grandpa in class, I think <laughs> I need to
1: retire. <laughs> Time to retire. Well, yeah, but, you know, there's no alternative to aging, you know, except for death. So let's keep aging, right? I agree with that. So you, uh, you've you retired once and uh, sat out a year. Now you're back at it. Uh, what does retirement look like? <laughs> I wish I knew. Yeah, I just – I I did it the one
2: year. uh, You know, I did my my time in the public school system, retired. I thought we were done. And then I got into the fall, uh, enjoyed my summer in the fall. And then when that winter hit that first year, it was like – this was, uh, it was very I think one, that's
1: and... an experience that a lot of recently retired people have. You do, yes. You yeah. know, and now some of them, uh, Chris Myhill, who worked here for 40 mm-hmm. years, he retired, he's loving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think that's everybody's experience. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my retirement party... Uh, is going to be at Bowie Funeral Home, so uh, like I'm an looking, invitation f- looking forward. To, yeah, yeah, you'll be invited. Uh, Michael's giving a speech, so <laughs> <laughs> that may be a while. Yeah, yeah I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, that's Paul Boschert. He's the athletic director at uh, Duchenne High School in St. Charles County. He's also the brother-in-law to our own near and dear Michael Kelly. Well, he's dear, he's not near. He's out of town. Well, that's something you don't see every day. Matt Pajeski working the board with his skillfulness over there. Thank you so much. Little uh, Yes right there that he's playing. Favorite band. Speaking of Yes, John Anderson, the lead singer of Yes has come into the Family Arena this spring and I will tickets. be there. Yeah. Sean Michael Lyle. That will be fascinating just around the corner in Tancock and Kelly on k x